And it's Liana, and this is the Night Guys podcast. We're here to join you almost weekly with about weird and spooky stuff, supernatural, (laughs) (laughs) extraterrestrial, cryptid, culty, true crime. We're late this week because it's been a week. So it's been a couple weeks, actually. (laughs) It's been um, four months. (laughs) Yeah. Well, you've had a bit of times that have been troubling. True. Ugh. We had to take here, some time though. off, but we really appreciate your guys' understanding with us. And I feel like we're we're back, right? And better than ever? We're better every day. Okay. <laughs> Continual improvement. That's Day. what we're about here. <laughs> <laughs> so we missed you guys. Uh, we missed our stories. I was really excited walking into the room to record today. Me too. Needed it. I agree. So we spent the past like hour and a half looking at old pictures of ourselves, which Ugh. is never a good thing, but also a good thing. Ugh. You know what's frustrating <laughs> is that when I look at like kids who are in high school now, mm-hmm. they look so much better than our era of high schoolers. <laughs> I know. And I know like everyone thinks they look worse when they're like, in that awkward whatever finding yourself phase (laughs) but like for real it's not fair and (laughs) everything was all the odds are against us to look even semi bad (laughs) like like there's no hope like what's it what's the pirates thing say like all ye who like abandon hope hope. (laughs) what happened I think that's that's not the pirates thing. I think that's in Dante's Inferno. What? It's more perfect, even better. <laughs> it's way better. Like I just uh like when I see pictures of like my nieces, two of them are in high school, it's like you like they have like lighting, they have hair, they have cute out they you know what's even more annoying? They take our outfits that we had that looked heinous and they like now they're redistributed but how they should have looked which is better and very annoying like you know how dare you tell me (laughs) (laughs) that scrunchies are a-okay now and do you know what my mom told me a few days ago i had not a scrunchie i had just a regular hair tie and Esme took it. They fit her like bracelets. <laughs> and I was like, Esme, I need that back. My hair is no good. I need to put it back up. And my mom's like, no, Erica. Gino's scrunchies are called clouds now. What? And I was like, excuse me. No, they pardon? are scrunchies. <laughs> clouds? Pardon me? Are you telling me what? A cloud? Fuck that. It's not a cloud. <laughs> it's a scrunchie. Heard. If it's I hear somebody say that, I'm going to take your cloud and light it on fire. I might just steal it. No. Take it home, wash it, keep mm. it as my own. Yeah, and then light it on fire. I don't know. <laughs> when I get tired of it. <laughs> I just don't. There's no hope. Our pictures are horrible, but I love them. They're really funny. Some of them are really atrocious, and I, I, like I said earlier, I'm questioning whether or not I even want to show my husband, because 
be like, yeah, you you married this. You married that thing. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry you didn't know. <laughs> But I'm also not sorry. Dating apps should make people pick a picture that's <laughs> 10 to 15 years, like, old. <laughs> or, like, whenever they were in high school, at least like that. When they were, like, you know, I've had many discussions 20. with Sean, and I've told him, I was like, I would have hated you. I would have mm-hmm. hated you when I was that age. Because he was, like, the sports jock guy. Yeah. And that was, like, the goth princess. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Same All boat. into art class. Like, I wanted to do nothing except for art class. Yeah. Bobby was like social, yeah. not social. Yeah. Went to rallies. I'm like, no, oh, that's what? when I went rallies. home. Like, for fo- football games. I know, that but just like, for? I don't I even guess. know. <laughs> that's so gross. Who does that? No one does this. He was like, you never went to any? And I was like, no, I went to one mandatory one. All four years. I think that's why our husbands get along. Because they're te- like no, the same person. No sports. No. Sports are ew. No. <laughs> what do I do? I <laughs> stencil the Goblin King on my t-shirts in the privacy of my own room. <laughs> <laughs> you spent so much time cutting that out. I remember that. I still have it somewhere. Mm. I wouldn't get rid of it. Don't Probably because I spent all that time on it. You did. If you guys are lucky, maybe we'll post a few of these pictures. Oh, I don't know. That might be a Patreon thing. These things are pretty disgusting. We could pick like one, maybe two. We could do two and then kind of scribble over them and then people can vote which one gets revealed. (laughs) (laughs) No, there's some really bad ones. Well, we can pick the two. We can pick the options. All right. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, before you know, before we do news, I want to just quickly—not quickly—I want to do what we what we promised, which was share uplifting and really cool history of people of color that have done amazing things in our country, because we don't really hear or talk about them ever. Mm-mm. And I know that last time uh, we talked about something really horrible. <laughs> After I was editing, I was like. This just makes me feel like shit. I want to share something happy and good because there's a lot of good in this world. Yeah. So this actually came really randomly through a listener. One of our listeners, Brittany. Hi, Brittany. Um, Hey. Hey. You recommended that I start reading a book, but because I have ADD and I need to do 10 things at once, I can't just sit and read anymore. I've listened to audiobooks. (laughs) And I was listening to The Indifferent Stars Above, and that is... A historical account of the Oregon Trail and what happened with the Donner Party. And it is so fascinating if you like history at all. This guy did some amazing research. Obviously, he took some liberties, but he talks about that. He's not just like, all of this is 100% fact. All the things that they were talking about on the trail definitely happened. So, like, he am like embellishes some of it is that what you mean? Some, but it's but a lot of his information comes from letters. The, mm. the correspondences that were sent back and forth, newspapers, like random documents and deeds and just it's so, so interesting. But anyway, one of the uh, stories leading up to the fateful Donner Party incident was um, a lot of people were being ushered to go on this random uh 
this really random shitty way to get to, I believe, uh, Oregon and California. And I guess a lot of people kind of got stuck. And this one man named Moses Harris, who is a black man, and he was like this really famous um, adventurer, fur trapper, mountaineer, mountaineer. He was a freed slave and he was just like the man of the mountain and he actually helped save them. And I just want to read this little blurb about him and they talk about him in greater detail in the book and it's really interesting. Um, he was also known as Black Harris and the Black Squire and he became a wagon train guide on the Oregon Trail after spending years exploring and fur trapping in the mountains. And he is thought to have first ventured into the West in 1823 and was considered an expert in winter travel. So he wow. was like the ultimate badass. So in 1836, he helped guide the Whitman Spalding Party to Oregon. He's credited with ha um, having helped build Fort Laramie. And he may have been in on the party of trappers who christened Independence Rock, which is also so cool. In 1844, he guided a wagon train of 500 people over the Oregon Trail to Fort Vancouver, a train which included George Washington Bush and the Holmes and Ford families. And then in 1845, Harris was in the Dallas when Stephen Meek, yep, this is the idiot this guy was such an idiot Stephen meek stumbled into town after having gotten a wagon train lost trying to cross the high desert harris was the only person willing to help and after bargaining for supplies from local indians he led also with a group of native americans um he led the surviving members of meek's party to safety at the dallas um and there were i think 300 people or 200 200 or 300 people that he helped save in that party whoa yeah by just leading them and i guess it took them over a week to get everybody to cross this river because he had to guide everybody either in their wagons or ferry them across and it took them a whole fucking whoa. week um he later helped rescue a group of stranded people on the applegate trail in southern oregon and he participated in the efforts to explore the cascade mountain range in search of a uh, route better than the barlow road and he continued to guide wagon trains until dying of cholera what a waste in 1849 <laughs> i think he's so cool and there's frustratingly not a lot of information about him but i guess fur trappers be. and explorers were they were renowned for being really private because they were like uh Fuck y'all. I want to go. Yeah, I just was like, for a reason. <laughs> I don't blame him. Yeah, so he, Moses Harris was a badass. Let's do a little cheers to him. No kidding. That's insane. He saved he, so many one, people. Like, wait, that's crazy. Not like over a long amount of time, like in mm -hmm. one like swoop. Mm hmm. He was a badass. So, Dude, Moses, this one's for cheers. you. Gonna have a that's cheers. Amazing. Mm -hmm. Ah. What a wonderful you are person awesome. that people should definitely know of. Like, mm -hmm. it's upsetting. I've never yeah, heard Yeah, and them. if you guys want to check it out in different stars above, uh, it's so, so interesting. I'm not done with it yet, but if you at all like history, it's fascinating. I'm so excited about this book. I'm totally geeking out. Telling Me. Sean about little bits about it, and he's like, hey, okay, I'm going to go back to working on my car. I'm like, but history. Okay. <laughs> you must know. <laughs> history. Don't you want to know about our history? It's like, no, woman, Probably. I do not. <laughs> <laughs> All, right, All right. You have news for me today? Yeah. We'll see if this one's as creepy as it seems like it may be to me. I don't <laughs> okay. like the title. Okay. <sighs> this is July 4th. Okay. 
um, mysterious loud jet sound circling over Austrian mountaintop, but nothing is visible in sky. Uh, maybe it's like Harry Potter and his buds breaking the sound barrier. I don't know. Why is it circling? Mm. Gross. Are they sure it's actually circling? Because in mountain ranges, especially if it's in like a valley, the noises will echo. And yeah, it'll sound like it's circling. But how long did it echo? Okay, let's see. Okay, read. Let's let's read the news. It says this quote from some person says the roar <laughs> was also like coming. <laughs> yes, was also like coming down in circles <laughs> of about one to two kilometer diameter. I don't know, as if a huge airplane or jet was circling above our heads for six to eight minutes. Oh, and that's then a long time. another six to eight minutes with a five minute break in between. Oh, gross! But compared <laughs> to an airplane noise that we know, this was one hundred times louder. Oh, that's so from did they Richard. Have to cover their ears. It oh. architecture software designer, Vienna, Austria. Wow, did we need oh. to know exactly what he does? Yes, we did. I guess we'll do. <laughs> mm. Um, that's Maybe by gross. knowing what he does makes it more legitimate. Sure. <laughs> I don't know. I'm being <laughs> stupid. <laughs> so, okay. The first report I received of specific loud jet sounds emanating from the sky without any human-made jet aircraft visible was in August 2019. There's a short list from okay see short list from earth files archive here so there's a link the highly strange hmm. jet-like sound without any visible aircraft in the sky was heard by a boeing company production facility employee in washington okay um there have been a few other strange loud jet sound phenomenon without any visible human-made airliners or military air traffic I hope there might be military or aerospace professionals with insider knowledge about what is happening in these disorienting cases who can contact me. Well, this makes it scary. They're, like, wanting help. Recently, another case was reported to me on June 25th, 2020. Mm -hmm. I received the following email from an IT civil engineer who asked me to call him. So this is... Uh, Richard, that's all he went by. He is Mm -hmm. 56 years old and works in architecture software design. His wife, 59, works in the tourism industry. Both live full-time in Vienna, Austria, but in the summer they travel about 311 miles southwest to the beautiful mountain valley of St. Peter um, (laughs) Commersburg. Whoa. (laughs) Good job. Kai. The valley is about eight miles long, bordered by high mountains. Their summer house... (laughs) brag is about a thousand two hundred meters altitude which is nearly four thousand feet above sea level with a clear view of the whole sky Jeez. so they wrote richard did um dear linda two days ago my wife and i heard incredible roars coming from the skies we are situated in central austria in the alps at around uh 1200 meters above sea level it happened two times for six to eight minutes each with a five minute break between Firstly, Hmm. we thought there must be huge airplanes circling above, but we couldn't see any single one. The roar was also, like, coming down in circles of about one to two (laughs) kilometer diameter, as if a huge airplane was circling above. But compared to airplane noise, this was louder. About ten minutes after the roars, a military helicopter was flying over the valley from north to south, but the flapping sound of the rotor was silent compared to the strange roars. I recorded the second roar and uploaded it uh, directly to YouTube. Sincerely, Richard. 
Oh no. This is really freaky. So like the co- the po- wait, so what I'm understanding is that the helicopter was following maybe the- or it got called to it. Hmm, okay. <sighs> the nearest military base is 34 miles to the east of the Austrian Zeltweg Air Base, now <gasps> known as Flagerhorst Hinterstoiser. <laughs> this word is so many consonants. A military <laughs> airfield in Styria. It is the main airfield of the Austrian Air Force. Okay, we could have oh. just said that, guys. <laughs> it would have been perfectly fine. It was lunchtime at 1 p.m. on Monday, June 22nd, 2020. The couple was in the kitchen when both said it sounded like the sky ripped open with the sound Jeez. of jets roaring in a circle over their mountain house. Okay. Uh, Scary. I don't want the sky ripping open. Yeah, um, it says, we heard the roar, and we went out from the kitchen to the terrace and looked up. Brag. The sky was blue and a lot of clouds. The sound was not coming horizontally, as we expect from planes, but it was almost vertically coming from top downwards. And for me, the most interesting is that it circled around the valley. Jets don't normally do that long coming down and pitch from high to low. So my impression was that it's coming closer. Hmm. They asked, did your wife have any intuitive gut sense of what was happening? Her first reaction was her mouth was open. What is that? She was looking towards the sound, and I saw her face moving as a sound circled above us. So something like a spiral was coming down toward us. That is my impression, and hers as well. Ew. I don't like that. That's... For this one, there was a five-minute break, too. Yeah. Ew. He said something very weird was going on because the amplitude of that sound was much bigger than planes, um, much louder. Oh, hmm. why would it have a five-minute section that you and your wife heard before the video taped, then have a pause and then another five minutes that you did record? He said yes. There were two events with a five-minute break in between. Um, oh, weird. Maybe two structures entering the Earth at the same place. Ew. Oh no, I don't like that. I didn't think of that. Mm. Mm. He said it could be masses of air being compressed. The friction between these layers causes sound. Oh, I don't know if it is, though. (laughs) He said, um, yuck. He said, I saw clouds being pushed downwards. This happens when you have higher pressure upwards and lower pressure downwards so that the clouds can move into the lower pressure areas and become diluted and increase in size. I think it was about two minutes into the video where I zoomed into some clouds and you could see that those cloud shapes decreased. So this was an indication for me that something was pressing downward. Um, oh, and these, my God. Uh, towards the earth. Yuck. Oh. I've never experienced something like this. I love to watch the sky and the clouds, so I'm quite familiar how clouds move and what airplanes are doing. But in this case, it was totally different. I never in my 56 years heard something like that, and it was so close to me, but I still wasn't frightened. I was just looking. And the interesting thing is that I felt that the roar is circling above us. He says, I have no idea what could cause that. Uh. He, they said, did it occur to you when you were listening um, that it could be some kind of technology that was cloaking itself in invisibility? And he said, yes, not natural, like a huge, you know, like a huge spaceship entering our atmosphere. 
would cause things like that. It is cloaked. It has to be at least one kilometer in size in oh, order to my move God, our atmosphere huge. the way it did and produce the impression of sound. Oh, that's uh, huge. Yeah. Uh, Nightmare is happening, dude. Uh, I guess you're never going to Germany, huh? No, Austria for me. Oh, Austria. Sorry. <laughs> okay. Cool. There's a clip we can watch later on. Oh, I don't know I don't if I want to see that. I do. It's like nightmare fuel that I just don't need. <sighs> when I drink more wine. <laughs> <laughs> I swear to God. Yes. No. <laughs> well, no, that's not what I was expecting. Swear to God, no. I just don't see why this is necessary. <laughs> I don't really understand. What do you mean? Me either. Why? Oh. Why is this necessary? Why is this necessary for the... the... Why do we need noises? If oh. you can be invisible and you're going to make that much sound, you guys are stupid. <laughs> why are you insulting the potential threat? <laughs> You have a very reckless way of going Maybe about I this. Sip more wine. <laughs> That's so horrible. I like I it. Don't need this. It. I don't need these these guys coming into spaces. <laughs> I just don't like it. Oh. Why take a break? They're right. It's another one that's coming in. Oh my goodness. I hate it. Six to eight minutes? Mm. That is so long. And then when you put in that five-minute break and then another mm-hmm. six to eight, we're talking like of like sitcom TV show episode. That is forever. I don't like sitcoms. <laughs> Everyone hates sitcoms if they're good people. Mm-hmm. I just, I don't know what I would do. You would burrow into the mountain and go into a cave. I would have to. I would also, after living through that experience, like, have to buy, like, all these weird devices. I need, like, jammers. I need, like... Tinfoil hat, but permanent. I need, like, <laughs> windows. And I, like, I need, I need the house to have a button that makes the house a panic room. Yes. I like that. And I need... Like, metal shutters down yes, on the windows. 100%. Yeah. I, yeah, I, and then I need a full dome, like armadillo style, to just chink, 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 <laughs> cover the whole house. <laughs> that includes your garden. Uh-huh, yeah. That has yeah, UV yeah, yeah. lights on the inside. 100%. And a little patch of grass so all the puppies can still, like, go duty. <laughs> and also, the out- so the inside would have, like, UV lights, and then the outside would have solar panels. Mm-hmm. This is great. I just don't need this, you know? You don't need the noise, but you need this armadillo. No, I just don't need these guys (laughs) inviting themselves in. No, uninviting. They're not inviting. I didn't ask them to come. Oh, my God. (laughs) I just really don't like this. I don't know what I would do. I would have to stab my ears. I don't need to hear this. Stab your ears. I don't need to hear it. My luck, I would like 
make myself deaf and then I would still feel the vibration. And I'd be like, mm-hmm. damn it. <laughs> You'd like feel it in your jawbone Somehow or something. Somehow worse. Like, my senses yeah. heightened. <laughs> no. <laughs> this happened somewhere this yeah. week. Really recently. Four days ago. Where are they now? Ugh. Over your house. No, I don't hear anything. <laughs> Maybe they perfected it. Just kidding. They didn't. They're dumb. <laughs> Stupids. <laughs> we have Priuses that are silent. Aliens. You can't even make your spaceship silent. Idiot. Dumb dumbs. What kind of alien are you? Terrible at your job. They got kicked out. <laughs> why you left yeah no one likes you <laughs> go hang out with mothman oh poor mothman <laughs> poor guy okay just trying his best no kidding all right so toddler claims spooky lady visits him in bed every night and makes specific requests ew <laughs> Why is oh I don't like specific and I don't like request. <laughs> I mean maybe I do like request. It's better than specific demand. Demands. Hmm. Yeah. Okay, I guess I don't like specific. <laughs> well, what if it's like pick up that pillow? No, she's coming into his bedroom. I know. And telling him what to do. And she's being all spooky while she does it? No, no. No. No, no. No. Nay, no? Nay, no. Rude. It should say, rude lady visits him every night. Because that's what she is. She's disrupting sleepy time. She doesn't deserve spooky. Okay. A young boy is afraid to go to bed because of this... Lady. <laughs> um, apparently, one family can't work out if their toddler's creepy nighttime fears are based on bad dreams or if there's more to them. The young boy claims he's been seeing a st- strange lady in his room each <laughs> night, and she makes a rather bizarre request. The child's grandma is so concerned about the tales of the ghostly figure that she's even written into an advice column for some help. Oh my god, like Way Dear go. Abby. Mima. In a later to in a later in a letter to Slate.com's Dear Care and Feeding. What? Titled mm-hmm. My Grandson is visited by a spooky lady every night. Oh god. The unnamed woman explained all. And we have to admit the whole thing does sound like something from a scary movie. Mm. She wrote My two-and-a-half-year-old grandson has been having a recurring nightmare for the past week and a half. He wakes up very upset, saying there is a lady in his room. When asked if she talks to him and why he thinks she is there, he says that she has to get something from his room and she wants to put something on his foot? Ew. Just one foot? (laughs) What? Uh, Why? Stay away from feet. One foot? He is afraid to go to bed. Yeah. Oh. My daughter is in the process of potty training him. Oh, I forgot that the grandma wrote this, and I thought he had an older <laughs> sister. <laughs> That's like five. 
trying to potty train the two and a half year old. I was like, whoa, hold on. I need to process that. Never mind. His mom's potty training him. Okay. Continue. <laughs> and he also has a new sister, four weeks old. Wow, that would have been impressive. I know mom, that thing. these life changes can cause children to have nightmares. And I understand that imagination is vivid at this age. However, this just seems so specific and kind of creepy. She adds that the family uh, is at a loss over how to handle the situation. The, uh, what, the aunt replies stating that a week and a half isn't a tremendously long period of time for a recurring nightmare. So the family should see how it goes and possibly put the brakes on potty training for now. I don't think that's the, it. Okay. Additionally, the writer suggests trying all the common nightmare remedies. Uh, <laughs> Did they ask them to check into the history of the house? Right. At Such all? as sleeping with a nightlight and using a weird lady spray that renders any weird ladies harmless. Or they recommend a nanny cam. Yeah, I think that's immediately what should be in there. <laughs> should have been step one. Oh nanny my god. Cam. Step yeah. two. Or check like, history of I house. No. Why don't you talk to your son more? Like, hey, when does she come in there? Is it all times of night? Is it right when you go to bed? Can you draw a picture of her? Freaking the witching hour. What's happening? <laughs> Do you know her name? How is she dressed? What is she putting on your feet? Jesus, there's so many questions. Not maybe it's like the potty training. No, it it's is not. He's cool with being potty trained. He's not cool when this lady <laughs> putting shit on his feet. Poor kid. He's like trying to tell them. And what do they do? They write an advice column and they say it's potty draining. They need an old he, priest and a young priest. They need <laughs> both of those ASAP. Poor kid. Why do you have to write in for that? Do you know how long it would take to get a response to? I was going to say that they've got a huge backlog. Oh my <laughs> God. A response Poor like kid's when he's like seven. 48 now. And I know. like. <laughs> <laughs> Still, he writes into those things anyway. <laughs> and abandonment issues. Poor guy. Oh. Poor, poor guy. Oh, she should have written to us. Christ. We could have given her way better advice. Yeah, and why doesn't he have a nanny cam? Like they should have several with a with five year old, two year old, and an infant. I don't. I just. Okay. Whatever. That sounds great. Sounds like a fun house. Yeah. Maybe the maybe the spooky lady's there to take care of him. No joke. Maybe she's like your mom. Your feet is busy. are cold. <laughs> yeah, my spooky lady socks. <laughs> oh, so oh, many boy. issues. <laughs> well, before we get started, um, we have a couple of little uh, promos for you guys. We have one for the podcasting janitor. Uh, he does motivational stuff, but he's also really funny. And then also we have the Legendary Africa podcast. So these are two ladies from South Africa that tell like legends and spookies, but it's also comedy. We've got some great little ads. So definitely check them out. And here's Podcasting Janitor and Legendary Africa. What is going on, everybody? This is the Podcasting Janitor himself, Nick. Hey, do you like motivation? 
considering you're a human being listening to this, I think you do like being motivated. Do you enjoy motivation from somebody who's just like you, an everyday person? Well, in that case, come listen to the Podcasting Janitor Show every Tuesday on pretty much every place you can find your podcasts. Join me and be motivated. No, this is not a Lion King podcast. This is also not a show full of fun bedtime stories to lull your kids to sleep at night. This is Legendary Africa, an African myths and legend podcast that travels all over the continent to bring you the greatest, weirdest, and scariest stories from the birthplace of humankind. Join sisters the Shira and Rashalia every Monday and Friday for a wild ride, guaranteed to keep you wide awake and in stitches. Learn about the mysterious werehyenas of Somalia, the heroic dragon-slaying Princess Takane, the flesh-eating spirits of the Congo, and much more. Find Legendary Africa on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And remember, stay safe, stay sexy, and stay legendary. Scene. Okay. Mm. All right, guys. Are you ready to delve into some camp gruesomeness i'm so excited to hear all of this so this is a very weird subject to research i'm going to tell you right now because just to clarify you guys erica's had a hell of a week so she didn't do the research she's going to be commentary (laughs) (laughs) that's what i excel in that is what you excel in you are excellent peanut gallery thank you thank you researching it's really like it's more like camp disasters and Ooh. horrible things that have happened at camps because have you do you have any, any haunted no i never went to camp i didn't either my family was poor as, well i'm sorry mom i know you're listening but uh we did not have money for that i went to open like daytime camp hey or i went to uh my parents drove me to town we walked from one end of uh our little town to the other end of the town where the uh i think it was like the cyo boys camp had a swimming pool and we'd all go swimming which is where I got my beautiful tan as a child. Mm. I know. And, you know, awkward in a bathing suit as like a six-year-old. So miserable. Because <laughs> <laughs> you'd have to like walk oh, in your bathing man. suit like a mile across town no. to get to the swimming pool and then walk back <laughs> all wet. <laughs> ah, the good old days. Mm-hmm. So anyway, looking for like scary, like sleepaway camp or camping things it was mostly like massacres or murders or before we get into the the juicy stuff i discovered that and i don't want to get too deeply into this because i promised sean that i wouldn't like when we started our podcast ages ago a lot of camps or camps and even schools in san francisco got Stuck with this weird anti-drug program that was like this popular anti-drug program because you know they wanted to teach kids and they do team building and whatever and during that team building they're also like drugs are bad (laughs) well this popular anti-drug program that was provided for free to schools in san francisco and elsewhere and camps was teaching concepts straight out of the church of scientology whoa really like completely infiltrated a bunch of camps and they didn't just do it in the united states they did it in i think turkey and israel like (laughs) so they were it's called um 
Like anyone listening to a classroom talk by Narconon Drug Prevention and Education is unlikely to recognize the connection with Scientology. The lessons sound nothing like theology. Instruction is delivered in a language purged of most church parlance, but includes, quote, all the Scientology and Dianetics handbooks basics, according to Scientology correspondence obtained by the Chronicle. So the Narconon's... Um, so like Narcotics Anonymous, uh, anti-drug instruction rests on these key concepts that the body stores all kinds of toxins indefinitely in fat where they wreak havoc on the mind until sweated out. And those ideas are rejected by the five medical experts contacted by the Chronicle who say there's no evidence to support them. Narconon was created by L. Ron Hubbard. You're saying he created narcotic. I can't talk. But Narcotics N-A? Anonymous, yes. Uh, yeah. What? Narconon operates a global network of drug treatment centers as well as education programs for elementary, middle, and high school students. The lectures have reached 1.7 million Why did he create that? Because children. then it's like, because oh, and by a- the way, this is like an avenue in to get yourself from straying on that path kind of a Fuck, thing? Fuck, I do not know. Whoa, weird. Yeah, so there's... Scientology is trying to weasel its way into a lot of things. So anyway, I'm not going to get too deeply into that because Sean says no, because we don't want to have those crazies following us around and <laughs> taking pictures of us for no reason at all, except for to just dox you. Uh, uh, but anyway, so cool. I thought that was interesting. That yeah, was one of the is. things that ha- that popped up and I was like, what? Oh my God. <laughs> Fuck that. <laughs> so I'm going to talk about two big cases because... There have been a lot of really tragic things that have happened on camping trips. Like, a lot of them are very recent, and the recent ones are really just sad. I mean, they're all sad, but because they're so recent, it feels really fresh, and I don't like it. And I know that sounds, that's not fair to the people that have died, but I'm still like, no, it was so long ago, right? Yeah. I don't know. I understand. I, I, I don't know why I think time heals this, but... It doesn't. Anyway. So this is about Girl Scouts that were murdered. Whoa. In Oklahoma. Okay. I'm just going to read you a story. I love stories. Stories. That's all good. That's in Camp Scott in Oklahoma. So this happened uh, 40 years ago. Okay. So 40 years ago, under the extreme darkness of a waning crescent moon, three Girl Scouts were brutally murdered at Camp Scott in Oklahoma. Uh, We had Michelle Goose, Lori Farmer, and Denise Milner. There are three really adorable little girls. One of them had glasses. I just love her little glasses. She has like Harry Potter glasses. They're so cute. So June 13th, 1977 marks one of the most terrible and shocking crimes in Oklahoma history, kicking off an investigation that continues to this day. So this shit should have been on Unsolved Mysteries. Oh, wow. Yeah. It's not. Whoa. Okay. Crazy. Yeah. This is like Zodiac So we can solve this. Yeah. All right. I don't really desire to go to Oklahoma, but because it's already hot enough here. Mm. And they have tornadoes. Maybe we can do it from home. Okay. I like armchair. And we're in. <laughs> All right. <laughs> can I drink wine while sitting in my chair? Yes. Okay. Then That's how we let's... solve it. We must be drunk. I get more creative that way. <laughs> True. <laughs> so, anticipating two weeks of activities and fun, Lori Farmer, Michelle Goose, and De- Denise Milner. So, Lori was eight, Michelle was nine, and Denise was ten. They were heading to their Girl Scout camp near Locust Grove in northeast of Tulsa, Oklahoma. Located just two miles from the town in Mays County, Camp Scott had been operated by the Girl Scouts since 1928. Generations of the girls had gone there for their annual two-week getaway. Holy crap, two weeks of a camping trip? 
That's a long time. It's a very long time. Like, I had a hard time just staying one night away from home. <laughs> Unless it was with my parents and I was that age. <laughs> okay, whatever. Uh, Michelle Hoffman has never forgotten her first time at Camp Scott when she was nine years old. The first thing she recalled was that it was dark there. If you've never been camping in a platform tent deep in the woods, it's a little intimidating. A platform tent is basically, it's like a house, it's like a little deck with like a house frame and they just throw a tent over the top of the house frame. Oh, There's no okay. wooden walls. It's just, um, that's what they have, I think, in Yosemite. That's oh, yeah. how we camped in Yosemite. Yep, I've been in that. It's not really camping, but it's camping. Mm-hmm. It's camping enough. It's camping not on the hard ground. Yeah. Camping on a hard, shitty cot. Yep. <laughs> so. Yeah. It was not comfortable. Those things suck. My mom, in the first 30 minutes when we got in ours, we had to go to the, <laughs> the front had, desk. No, we had to go to the like little hospital wing. We, need, <laughs> we needed the medic. <laughs> no Why? Oh, my God. I was like, wait, I can see this actually happening. The like bear box that was either oh, yeah, in yeah, the yeah. tent or right outside of it. I cannot remember. They but. were outside. Like, it was black and metal, and for whatever mm-hmm. reason, the lid was on its side instead of being how it should be. Instead of on the bear box? Well, no, like, it was like one, like a toy box where you would lift it up and hold mm-hmm. it. Yeah, yeah. And instead of being on the top, it was on its side where you hmm. would open it. And I don't know what she was thinking, but she opened it and didn't realize that it was there and gravity was going to close it because it was heavy and she closed it oh, on her hand. Her mom. And oh, Brenda. she like had to put her thumb in like a splint. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, Brenda. It was so cold. We also didn't realize that's what my dad booked. We thought we had a cabin. So we were not prepared, and it was freezing cold. And all the pictures of us in this tent is with, is with like, legit five-plus blankets wrapped around. <laughs> and all you see is our eyes and the top of our heads. I love this too much. I want to see these pictures, I can please. find it, and we have them. They're in a photo album. <laughs> Great. Good. Stupid. Need to see that. And that was the time I got over 40 mosquito bites. Oh. That's and I like was in me. so much pain. I dry heaved because I was so itchy. <laughs> <laughs> and see, we had to go me? again, I think, to the medic. You are the only person I know that understands how frustrating and painful uh, it is to be I was this itchy. so uncomfortable. It, we we counted. <sighs> I think I had... I had not quite 40. I think I had 38. That number stuck in my head. It was a lot, though, where it was like every mm. part of me had like five. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Well, the thing is, you actually understand because your bites swell up like mine do. Mm-hmm. Like you get really hyper itchy just like I do. But Sean and his mom don't. So they're like, oh, there are no mosquitoes. And I'm like, uh. Yeah. Ours last for like seven to ten days of like pain. And somehow, like, day five, they get worse. I don't understand. Dude, the, I'm on, like, day or two or three, and somehow they're more itchy than they were. Yeah. Then. I don't. Dude, maybe we both have some mosquito disease now. Oh, wait. Pause. Hold on. I think we were talking about mosquitoes. Sorry, guys. We had to take a quick break. Erica rescued a dog today. <laughs> the owner came and found him. <laughs> Bobby and I spent almost an hour plus trying to 
catch a lost dog. And then we did with two people in our neighborhood's help. She was scared. Did not want to be caught. But we got her. And then we got her in our backyard, which was like hurdle two. And then we posted everywhere and we hadn't heard anything yet. And then while we were recording, Bobby knocked on the window from the backyard and... I guess he saw the owner while he, Bobby was working in the garage with the garage door open, walking by with a flashlight at like almost 10 o'clock at night and was like, hey, what are you looking for? And he said the kind of pup that she is. And he's like, well, I have your dog. <laughs> she's currently in our backyard, safe. And we're trying to figure out where to put her for the night. So she's warm and snuggly. <laughs> oh, I'm so happy. We salute you, Pichu the dog. <laughs> Pichu, such a great name. Cheers to, to Pichu. Yeah, for real. Guys, please, please, please mm. put a le- put a collar on your dog with a name, phone number. Check your fences. Make sure your gates have locks. If- chip your animal, please. Inside, outside, cat, dog, chip them. Yes. And also, if you see somebody trying to desperately catch a puppy and you're able to, please help, help them. them. Even if it's just emotional support and walking with them while they do it, like, please help because so many people did not care that we were trying to catch a pup. And it's so disheartening because it's like, when I see lost animals, it's like, that could be my child. Like, those are my babies. So Mm -hmm. I would hope somebody would try as hard as we do to help get a lost pup because where are they going to go they're going to go to the pound and especially during get hit COVID by a car. right now it's like yeah i keep hearing about all these animals that are being put down and uh, oh, i don't want to send them there and just nope. and she was scared so she's kind of like growling defense mode which is totally understandable but then she could get labeled like aggressive which isn't correct and ugh. So just save the animals. Watch your puppies and help people when you can. And kitties. Yeah, all of the things. Put identification on your puppo. Yeah. Especially if they're escape artists. If they're like, like punky and energy. they never leave your side and they're grumpy and hate all humankind, then sure, <laughs> fine. <laughs> all right. Sorry, Side guys. note, I okay. read that familiars, mm-hmm. I was reading about them and how familiars are mostly, like, at their core, they're like demons that are in animals oh my god it is punky and i was like holy shit because they were saying like people like to affectionately call their animals familiars and because you know they have like a maybe like a magical connection with them which is all valid and like kind of more of a new way of looking at familiars but like Mm -hmm. the og familiars are demons (laughs) that are in an animal vessel most of the time and i was like oh my god I have an OG familiar that is a demon. <laughs> and the great thing is, is that Bobby had that familiar and he transferred that familiar to you. Yeah. That's I found thing. Pumpkin and we are bonded. <laughs> and he oh, hates everyone yeah. and I don't mind it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. Sorry, guys. Okay. We're getting back to, to Camp Horrible yeah, now. Yeah, yeah, Camp Scott, Camp Terrible. It is dark as shit in these deep deep woods um however during daylight camp scott was a beautiful campground and a step away from the hustle and bustle of tulsa michelle hoffman she was the nine years old nine year old baby 
I know they're so little. So little. Uh, Hoffman loved it there. She hiked, swam, and slept in tents, coming back every year. On Sunday, June twelfth, Hoffman arrived at the girls, uh, Tulsa Girl Scout headquarters and remembers the parking lot packed with excited girls waiting to board their buses to to Camp Scott. She recalls seeing Denise Milner, one of the few African-American girls going on the trip, and she could tell she was nervous. Thinking she could provide some encouragement, Hoffman walked over to Denise and her mother, Betty Milner, and introduced herself. Denise was feeling homesick. She wasn't wanting to go to the camp. Poor thing! Oh, no! She said... Hoffman, uh, Michelle said, why don't you come with me? We'll ride down together. Denise reluctantly went along and the girls boarded the bus. They sang camp songs all the way to the cookie trail. Cookie trail. No. So this camp occupied 410 acres with a creek running through it. And it's completely surrounded by densely wooded forest. So it sounds truly ideal for a camp. But yeah, anyway. All the units consisted of several campers tents and a counselor's camper tent. The tents sat on wooden platforms and held four cots for sleeping while all four canvas sides rolled up. Oh, okay. So it's just like the ones in Yosemite. Great. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, Hoffman described arriving at Camp Scott as always a sort of stepping off. As you turn off Oklahoma 82 on a cookie trail, the road narrows to the camp entrance. As you turned onto the dirt road, the wilderness suddenly comes alive with color, a peaceful place and a place where children were safe until that night in 77. That year, Hoffman had hoped to become a camp counselor, so she escorted Denise to her tent. It was Kiowa Tent Number 8, a tent Hoffman had stayed in many times. Uh, Carla Wilwhite recalls meeting Denise and recalls her as a beautiful and radiant child. She was the only African-American in a first First time camper, and I remember thinking we would want to make sure she had a good start and a great experience. Oh my god, this is awful. I like briefly looked at this article, didn't even look at the pictures of the kids. No, that's <laughs> so not now. Me. My heart is just like broken. They're so little. I don't, I didn't realize kids go to camp when they're that young, they go even like younger, which is crazy to me. What, yeah. No, they no no, no they, they don't. don't. Okay, <laughs> they do, but okay, <laughs> especially as Girl Scouts. Nope, camp out. They're like in little brownies. My backyard only I know. for these Girl Scouts. <laughs> yeah, I would never. No, I camp with my family. Mm-hmm. That's that's how I am safe. If I have mm-hmm. like, or when I was a kid, if I had Dad protecting me, but now if I have Sean protecting me, great. Mm-hmm. And then also my pepper spray. Yep, and my yep. knife. Yep. I really want a taser, though. Yes. Like, so bad. I do, too. I want one of the distance tasers, but yes. also one of the stun guns. Yes. Like the stun- I want Wait, both. Which one's a stun gun? You can get one that does both. Tasers, tasers the close hand-to-hand, and then stun gun is the one that shoots out, right? I don't know. I just want one that you, it can be either. So you can kind of, like, flip between the two? Yeah. So they have one oh. where, you know, when it's retracted, it's mm-hmm. close up, but if you need like, to, it will launch. Oh. Give me that. Yeah. Are th- those are probably not even legal in California, like every other state. We need to get your dad to hunt for those for us. He probably, I bet I could text him and he'd know. <laughs> Be like, oh, yeah, that's like the Here's Magnum 7000. Uh, <laughs> you know, I've got seven of those in the house. The link. Here. <laughs> um, so, yeah, they wanted poor little Denise, who was the only African-American girl to be there to enjoy themselves, to enjoy herself. So... Kudos to them to try to make her enjoy herself. 
Oh my God, my heart. So Denise was introduced to her tentmates, Lauren and Michelle, and though they didn't know each other, they seemed to bond quickly. Hoffman came back later to say goodnight to the girls and all were off to sleep, looking forward to the fun that would come to the next come to them the next day. However, that night there was an early an early evening thunderstorm making it especially darker than usual. One girl, Amy Sullivan, recalls writing in her diary that evening by flashlight. It was the darkest dark I had ever known, she said. Though enchanting, it was a little bit scary at the time for her. I couldn't tell if my eyes were open or shut. Oh, I've only experienced that once in my life, and that was going in a cave in Yosemite. Yeah. Fuck the spider caves. Ugh. Yep. And it's always fun when they do that bullshit where they're like, look, if you wave your hand really fast, though, you'll be able to see it. And then they turn the flashlight on. Everyone looks like dumbasses. <laughs> oh, what they did with us is they gave us um those lifesaver mints mm. like the, we did that at they, camp and they had us crunch them and you could see the light yeah we did that at camp like outside when we went on a hike but when we went into the caves just with my family on a trip they're like yeah but if they say that if you wave your hand close enough to your face though and fast enough you'll see it and then the <laughs> guy turns the light on everyone looks like assholes <laughs> it's funny jerk camp guy <laughs> The following day, the news broke. The three Girl Scouts were found slain at Camp Scott near Locust Grove. The shocking headlines were seen throughout Oklahoma. Parents hearing the news were horrified. Fucking obviously. So no counselors stay in the room with them? Uh Uh-uh. They stay in their own tent. That's crazy. I know. Especially when they're that little. They're like eight and nine. I would want a counselor in my tent that age. High school ages? Like, Sure. I would want to be alone. I would definitely not want to be anywhere near them. <laughs> but yeah, same. that age, like, you need to have some kind of supervision. Yeah. All three girls had been beaten and strangled and left under a tree approximately 100 yards from their tent. The girls were discovered by counselor Carla Will White just after 6 a.m. on Monday. Carla was on her way to take a shower down the trail when she saw the girls' bodies near the base of a tree. Jesus Christ. At first, she did not see Lori and Michelle because they were zipped inside their sleeping bags. Ew. Why? Denise was lying on top of her sleeping bag. She was obviously deceased when Will White saw her, confused and horrified by what she had seen. She turned and ran for help. She returned with the camp director and nurse. Only then did it sink in, and she recalls being filled with a terrible fear. Autopsies would reveal that Lori and Michelle were killed by blunt force trauma to the head, Denise had been beaten, but also strangled with a ligature. All had been sexually assaulted. And investigators determined the attacks had taken place inside the tent and the bodies were then moved to the tree. Oh my God. Those poor little girls and their poor families. Um, And that camp counselor that discovered them. So immediately, camp officials began sending the Girl Scouts home on buses and out of the camp where police were now investigating the triple murder. Sullivan recalls her parents had been in Dallas and her grandmother picked her up that afternoon but remembers not knowing what had happened. A few minutes later at a stoplight, I remember looking at her very closely. I then asked her what happened. Okay, honey, her grandmother said with tears in her eyes, three girls were killed at your camp last night. Sullivan wrote in her diary that evening, I came home from camp, three girls got killed. She later crossed out the word killed and wrote murdered. She said she didn't even know what that word meant until that day. Um, and I'm looking at a map. Like, the victim's tent and the counselor's tent were about 80 yards apart. So they were 
far. Whoa. No, 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 no. They need to be like 10 feet or less. (laughs) So there's like the counselor's tent. And then there was like a U shape of additional of like the kids, the the, uh, campers tents. Were there other campers near the girls tent at least? Yeah. Like all like it was the counselor's tent. And then it was like a daisy chain in a U shape. Of tents. Of, of tents. But theirs the, was the farthest theirs away. Theirs was the furthest away, and it was at the other end of the U. Jeez. No, that's too far. <sighs> that's too far. That doesn't make sense. Mm-mm. No. I mean, if those kids were with their family and they went camping, the parents wouldn't put them that far from them. Hell so why no. are counselors? Like, the kids might go in their own tent because they'd be like, I want the kids to fart in their own tent. I don't want to be Right, but that's like tent, three but... feet away. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, how sad. Okay, so. I don't understand that. I don't either. That's so far. I wouldn't want to be that far. No. I'd be like, what do you mean the adults are far away? Yeah. Like, like, what's the point of them here? (laughs) (laughs) It's not like high school sleepaway camp where you want the counselors far away. Yeah. So who do they think, do they have suspects? So the manhunt. Dominating the news headlines in the weeks after the murders, police had combed the woods for clues, conducted hundreds of interviews, and followed up on dozens of leads. On June 23, 1977, the police named a suspect. His name was Gene Leroy Hart, a convicted burglar and rapist. He was a prison escapee and had been on the run for four fucking years after his second escape from a county jail. Why is he? Oh, God. Okay, fine. So many things wrong. Yeah, uh, a native of Locust Grove and a Cherokee Indian who is now facing three first-degree murder charges. The DA announced a cave had been found in the area, including items possibly stolen from camp. Authorities claimed this cave was connected to Hart, who was an expert's wood, expert woodsman and also had many family members living in the area, including his mother. The largest manhunt in Oklahoma history would begin that day. On April 6, 1978, so... Let's see, nine months later, the manhunt ended. I think nine months. I can't do math, whatever. Mm -hmm. Uh, Next year in April. (laughs) (laughs) Acting on a tip, the Oklahoma State Bureau of Investigation, (laughs) had a lot of wine, (laughs) converged on the home of Sam Pigeon. Sam Pigeon, that wasn't his name. No. Another guy's name. Okay. The home of Sam Pigeon. There, in a rickety old shack, they found an arrested Hart. Oh, so Hart was in Sam Pigeon's house. He was hiding out there. Sorry. Okay. Last name Pigeon really just just took over my mind. It really did. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Like, who is this Pigeon man? (laughs) Such an idiot. Don't listen to me. Okay. (laughs) He's knocking the door. Pigeon answers. (laughs) <laughs> That's what I cool. <laughs> I really love pigeons. I Me cute. too. <laughs> anyway, the capital murder trial of Gene Leroy Hart would send Oklahoma back to the gruesome day the murders happened. The media was in a frenzy parked outside of the courthouse. The trial would be held on the third room, third floor courtroom in Pryor, with Judge William Whistler presiding. Gavin Isaacs, the former Oklahoma County Public Defender, who was leading the defense team, uh, when he first met Hart, he recalls, I want you to know one thing. I didn't kill those Girl Scouts, Isaacs said. Those were the first words out of his mouth. I believed him when he said that. Huh. Apparently, a growing number of community members and supporters 
also believe that Hart was not guilty to raise money for Hart's defense. You're talking about the guy living in a cave that had things that were stolen from the camp? They found a cave, but it wasn't necessarily where he was living. It was just a cave that had shit in it that was stolen from camp. But they can't necessarily tie him to the cave. Okay. They're just assuming that since he was on the lam from Makes escaping sense. from prison, they just that he look lived for in DNA the in the cave. It was the seventies, so no. <laughs> <laughs> they jumped in time, went forward, did the DNA test, came back in time, and said it was him. Rude. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so to raise money for Hart's defense, a community hog fry dinner was organized, and supporters mm, wore T-shirts. I know, wore t-shirts that read, Stop the Mays County Railroad, signifying the community's belief that Hart was being railroaded by the police. I want that shirt. I know. Let's try to find that. thing to find later. (laughs) Okay. um, I'm going to bookmark that. Uh, The the Cherokee Tribal Council even donated $12,500 for the defense fund. Wow. That's a lot of money, especially for the time. 21 months after the murders, the trial began. The state's case depended upon two different types of evidence. The items that were found at the cave and less than... Three miles away from the camp included a pair of glasses, a roll of tape mm. that matched tape found at the crime scene, and some pictures that linked Hart, who once worked in a photo lab at the prison. Okay, so maybe he totally did live there. Uh, that's not looking good. That does not look good. Uh, <laughs> on the surface, it doesn't look great. <laughs> not looking good. It's not looking awesome. Uh, in addition to biological evidence, including sperm and hair samples, ugh, mm. uh, they were found on the girls. A footprint was also found in the mud after the thunderstorm the previous evening. Oh, yeah. I guess that would be important. Good job, yeah. Rain. While DNA would not be introduced until the late 19, or t- until the 1980s and hair evidence had been discredited as a forensic technique, police admitted the evidence they had found was not conclusive proof that Hart had committed the crime. Uh, there Excuse also me? there had been there had been no fingerprints. That's interesting. No prints. <laughs> yes, no pigeon prints. <laughs> it's all <laughs> pigeon footprints everywhere. <laughs> We're still stuck on Sam Pigeon, even though he had nothing to do with it. Maybe he did. He did house a criminal, an escaped prison inmate. I bet it was. Pigeon all along. Pigeon just pinned it on poor heart. (laughs) Stupid. Shame on us. Okay. Quickly as a defense tactic, the prosecution found themselves on trial. The hair was inconclusive. The footprint did not match the size of Hart's foot. And the... Oh, see, maybe it was a pigeon foot. And the evidence found in the cave was not... Three con- toes. <laughs> was not convincing beyond a reasonable doubt. On March 20th, 1979, the jurors announced a stunning verdict. Not guilty. That's not that stunning. It's really not. Trying to console the families, the prosecution pointed out that Hart was in no way going free. He was still going to serve over 300 years for previous rape and burglary burglary charges. Jesus. 300 years? My God. What did he do? Uh, but that was one piece of horrible news the families would be told. On June 4th, Betty Milner, so um, poor Denise's mom, received stunning news. Hart was dead. He had collapsed after exercising and died of a probable heart attack in prison. Okay. That was the end, or so they thought. The police had no intention of pursuing any the case any further for any additional suspects. They had completely focused on Hart and put all their eggs in one basket. In the back of everyone's mind, they wondered if a killer was still on the loose, which is really, I think, the scariest part about Well, not the scariest, obviously. Yeah. The girl's dying. Scariest. It's not good, though. It's not awesome. Uh, in early April 1977, when Hoffman was at Camp Scott during a special cadet weekend, someone went into one of her campmates' tents while they were away. 
When they returned, they found the tent in total disarray. Our bags had been scattered all over the tent and some were even outside. Whoever had broken into the tent had also emptied a box of donuts that Hoffman had brought into camp. Inside, she found a note. There were four or five pages from a tiny steno notebook. On the first two or three pages written repeatedly was the word kill. Oh my no. God. This was before they were murdered? Mm, yeah. What? Uh, they didn't okay. report this? Because uh, they're nine. Wait, what? Are they saying this is after the fact and they think somebody is still around? No, this was before. Okay. This one girl, let's see, what's her name? Hoffman. Michelle Hoffman. I guess she was just like friends with the girls. Okay. Because she's like the one that they're interviewing. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. (laughs) No, you're good. This is not very clear, like who this Michelle Hoffman girl is. But anyway, she was, she's just a longtime camp goer or girl scout she had been to that camp earlier that year for a special cadet thing and there was a second message in the note that would send chills up anyone's spine quote we're on a mission to kill three girls so there's a group supposedly ham and pigeon probably ew i don't like this okay go ahead hoffman said she took the note to the camp director later hoffman learned several girls confessed to writing the notes and the note was thrown away it had not been brought up by the criminal case but mentioned during the civil case to prove the girl scouts should have been alerted to possible dangers prior to the murder murders excuse me questions remained if the girls had written the note or if they had just caved under pressure of questioning by the camp director again did the killer walk free or did they go on to kill other girls Police had found, so this is about the DNA. Police had found semen on a pillowcase near the girls' bodies. In 1989, the FBI tested the sample and were unable to rule out heart because the tests were inconclusive. Because DNA, that kind of sample, I think, breaks down over time. Okay. As DNA technology and testing have advanced, police have retested the items found at the crime scene and hope the killer's profile will match someone out there. However, in 2008, the FBI retested the semen, but it was too degraded to create a profile. No. The FBI's combined DNA index system, so CODIS, generates biological evidence that is found at a crime scene. Matches made among profiles in the forensic index can link crime scenes together or match possible offenders. But the police need the DNA profile. They're hoping continued advancements will allow them to retest the semen to reveal a long-awaited profile. So poor uh, Betty Milner has not returned uh, to her daughter's grave at the Green Acres Cemetery for over 40 years. Like, the mom just was like, I can't go back. She had gone to the cemetery but could not bring herself to walk over to the plot located right next to her late husband. In January 2016, with her friend Majors by her side, and after being encouraged by her family, she finally did it. I just feel so bad. I mean, she, like, never got over it. I mean, like, how could you? Yeah, yeah, for sure. That's impossible. So her daughter, Crystal, encouraged her to go to the cemetery. But it was also her daughter, Crystal's Crystal's first time going herself. Because that day in 1977, she had lost her big sister. So she doesn't know when she'll go back to the grave again. But it's nice to know that she can. So anyway, that shit is still considered unsolved. Wow. I never heard of that. (laughs) How far away is this place he escaped from? Hmm, I don't know. God, I hope it's not close. If so, really, camp people? Well, yeah, I mean, you definitely don't want to have, like, a Girl Scout camp right near a prison. (laughs) No. (laughs) Oh, my God. Jesus. (laughs) That's fucking terrible. Yeah. 
Never heard of that. I don't remember. I feel like we may have covered this, but I'm also kind of like, did we? I don't know. Maybe a long time ago we might have done it, but I don't know. Um, <laughs> this is supposed to be one of the most famous. I don't know. God, did we? What, who? Name names. Give me names. It's the Lake Bodum murders. Does this sound familiar? No. Um, okay. So, the Lake Bodum murders is one of the most famous unsolved homicide cases in Finnish criminal history. Wait. Finland? Okay, go ahead. I don't know, because I feel like you did cover one, but I can't remember. Is this where guys were traveling? No. Because you remember that one? The guy and his friend were traveling, he called his mom, everything was like fine, and then they got in a car with some other guys in a van and like... People were after them, and do you know what I'm talking about? It was I totally a really do. freaking weird. I totally do, but I don't think this is it. Okay, I'm cool. pretty sure this isn't it. Okay. And we are good to go. <laughs> okay. And apparently, the children of Bodum uh, band, like, they made their name. It's like a metal band. They, like, made their name after this horrible nice. incident. Great, I don't guys. know if I approve of this or hate it, so... Anyway, this also happened a long time ago, which is why I felt like I could talk about it. Okay. Truthfully, there were some current ones where, like, an 11-year-old or 9-year-old, like, committed suicide. No. Like, via gun. And I was like, no, "No, I can't talk about that. I don't feel comfortable. And then, like, little tiny kids die. I was like, no, I hate all of this. I can't talk about it. Can't handle that. So... (laughs) Can I just tell you that where Lake Bodum is uh, located... Please. Uranus. <laughs> I don't even know if I can say it. <laughs> it's lo- located in Espoo. E-S-P-O-O. In Espoo. Finland. Espoo. <laughs> Stupid. <laughs> Look at it. Okay. Sorry. It's just such a funny name to me. I like it. <sighs> okay. It was supposed to be a pleasant lakeside camping trip. Four teenagers set out on a sweetheart's getaway with the intent of roughing it in a single tent. Four people in a tent? No. No. no pass. Perched on the banks of a serene lake in Espoo. <laughs> I just threw that part in there Espoo. myself. Uh, by the next morning, they would three would be dead. The fourth brutally injured and a prime suspect in what became known as the Lake Bodum Murders, Finland's most famous unsolved murder. On June 4th, 1960, 15-year-olds Myla, oh man, Bjorklund and Anna Tuukki, nope. Nailing She's, it. Don't, nope, nope, nope. We're going to just say Myla and Anya from, oh uh, from Espoo <laughs> set on a camping trip <laughs> accompanying the two young women were their 18-year-old boyfriends. My goodness. My parents oh. would not tolerate that. Nope. Uh <laughs> Seppo and Nils. They had chosen a well-known campsite on the shores of... Oh, for fuck's sake. Just on the shores. Okay. They actually have... Okay. <laughs> Bodom Minjarvi, known in English as Lake Bodom. Yeah. Great. Good. Super. Uh, <laughs> the arrival of the campsite and subsequent afternoon went smoothly as the teenagers enjoyed their time in nature. It wasn't until early hours oh of the goodness. next morning that the disaster struck. Nils, the sole survivor of the incident, would tell the tale hundreds of times over the next year, his story getting spun wildly out of control several times over, but the facts remain the same. That's right. This picture is horrific. 
I'm going to send it to you because it's insane looking. Like, it's this tent that just looks like it's covered in blood and ravaged. Whoa. Okay. It's looking. And I'm going to send it to my co-host right now. Send it. Hot. Holy shit. Great. I know. Whoa, dude. I know. Uh, okay. Well, tent looks like a bad time. It's a bad time or a good time. So, sometime between. <laughs> no. No. How could four people fit in that tent? Uh, yeah, that alone is bad. <laughs> that tent looks very small. That's okay. not good. That was an orgy tent. That's so sad. Well, yeah. It was not sad until it was sad. Good for them. <laughs> like, really. <laughs> They didn't actually sleep. They were just like, oh, yeah, just need totally. walls. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, so sometimes, sometime between 4 a.m. and 6 a.m. on the morning of June 5th, Maki Borklung. Why did I just give the first name? Son of a bitch. So two of the girls and one of the guys <laughs> were stabbed and bludgeoned to death through the tent. Through the tent. Outside in. Mm-mm. An attempted attack on Goof's descent, so the final nils, left him with a concussion, a fractured jaw, and several broken facial bones. And yet somehow he's still the prime suspect. I don't understand that at all. What is that? The horrific scene was first stumbled upon by a group of bird-watching boys. Oh, birders. Around 6 a.m. who noticed noticed the slain teenager's collapsed tent on the lake shore. They also reported seeing a blonde man walking away from it. No. Um, a Nordic alien, probably. Maybe that makes the most sense. Yeah. Does it? No, they seem peaceful. I was gonna say I thought they were reptilian really chill. posing as Nordic. Definitely, <laughs> definitely those guys. Pigeon Maki. <laughs> definitely the pigeon. <laughs> this is where he got his work started. Uh, an espu. Why, right. pigeon? Why? <laughs> okay. Maki and Boisman's body. I wish they didn't do by the last names. But anyway, were found inside the tent. But Borklund, Gustafson's girlfriend, was found on top of the tent, naked from the waist down and lying next to Gustafson. No. Borklund also was in the worst state of the victims that had been clearly stabbed even after her death. Ew. Jesus. That kind of overkill really freaks me out. Yeah. Like, big time. It's like another level Ugh. to something that's already a horrible level to be at. I know. Ugh. It wasn't until 11 a.m. that the bodies would be discovered by a carpenter named Risto Siren. Immediately, Siren alerted the po- Siren, Siren to the police, who arrived on the scene around noon. By then, the victims of the Lake Boda murders had been dead for more than six hours. Now we're going to talk about a tumultuous and botched investigation. My no. favorite is when they fuck up the investigation. Just, you know what? They fucked up the Girl Scout murder once, too, because they put all their eggs in that one basket. Have we ever read a murder <laughs> where they're like, and the impeccable work of the investigators <laughs> led to the immediate arrest of, <laughs> it's like... <laughs> Never, it's always messed up. I've never read that they did. There was good work. It's always like a detective that comes in later who is like, "Why did this like sample never get sent? It's been sitting in the envelope for fifteen years." And then they do the good work. 
But it's and like then they in find the out moment, that the killer's already dead. Yeah. Like, no. Uh, okay. Okay. So, from the start, the crime scene was a confusing one. Rather than uh, enter the tent and stab the teenagers from the inside, it appeared that the assailant had attacked blindly from the outside of the tent. He or she had clearly used a knife to stab the victims, but their bodies showed evidence of another weapon, an unidentified blunt object. Furthermore, several strange items were missing from the scene, adding another layer of mystery to the crime. For example, the keys to the teenagers' motorcycles were gone, but the motorcycles themselves hadn't been taken. Gustafson's shoes were also missing, though they were later found roughly half a mile from the tent, along with parts of his clothing. Later, the papers would lambast the police for their shoddy handling of the case from this point on. Thank God the papers at least were on it. The police reportedly failed to take official recordings of their findings. Oh, my God. So he didn't take pictures of the... (laughs) And they did not cordon off the area, leaving it open to contamination. Shortly after the police left, curious onlookers and careless campers all but destroyed the murder scene. In an attempt to rectify their mistake, police enlisted the help of soldiers to search for the missing items. The site was instead further trampled, and most of the items were never found. (laughs) Oh my God, I'm so irritated by what I just that read. Trampling happened is so insane. <laughs> I'm so mad right now. <laughs> I can only laugh because I'm irritated. Yep, I'm so irritated by <laughs> what I just read. Ah, okay, okay. The first suspect of the murders was Carl Valdemar Gilstrom, known in the community as whatever kiosk man because he owned and operated a a nearby stall. Gilstrom's kiosk near Lake Bodum was frequented by campers. However, he was known for being hostile towards them. (laughs) So he sold them shit but hated them. (laughs) Uh, So he was hostile toward them and witnesses claimed to have even seen him cut down tents and throw rocks at hikers over the years. Okay. Some even posited that they saw him leave the murder scene but then claimed to have been too afraid of him to alert the authorities. Oh, great. Gilstrom allegedly made several confessions in which he displayed knowledge of the crime both drunkenly and sober, though they were all ignored by police. Uh, okay, okay, guys, don't go to Finland. You're going to get killed and it's it never going to get solved. <laughs> oh, my God. Or at least and people will be back too then. scared to report it. Who the guy's walking away. Report it. <laughs> Nine years after the Lake Bodum murders, Gilstrom drowned in Lake Bodum, likely by suicide, rendering DNA evidence as requested by several authorities over the years impossible to gather. Great. The second suspect. I don't believe that. Oh my God, this guy's name. No. (laughs) The second suspect remained of interest until 2004. His name was Hans Assman. It's A S S M A N N. Assman? Osman. Hans Osman. <laughs> I think we can laugh at it because he must not be a great guy. <laughs> I mean, he's a suspect. Exactly. <laughs> oh, he was rumored. Osman no. was rumored to be a former KGB spy living very near to the shores of Lake Bodum. Osman. Over the years, Osman. 
earned a reputation as somewhat of a recluse and combined with the KGB rumors consequently resulted in, in him being suspected in several murders, though none of the accusations stuck, probably because the police didn't do their job. What if he wasn't an ass man? That would be it. He was like, I hate asses. Butts are gross. <laughs> Give me those boobies. <laughs> What cruel joke is this? (laughs) (laughs) Poor guy. All right. It was him. Anyway. He did this. Wait. But Hans Osman had gone into Helsinki Surgical Hospital the day after the attack with fingernails black with dirt and his clothes covered in red stains. Hospital staff reported that Osman was nervous and aggressive, but other than brief questioning, the police did not pursue him any further as they claimed that he had a solid alibi in regard to the Lake Bodum murders. Did he really? What was was his solid alibi? I couldn't have done it. (laughs) Busy. Was in my garden. Burying yeah. bodies. <laughs> Osman's stained clothing was never investigated despite doctors insisting that it was blood. He also matched the description of the blonde man fleeing the scene and cut his hair shortly following a newspaper article detailing the case that came out. Finally, police made an arrest 44 years after what? the murders. In the March of 2004, Nils Gustafsson, the sole survivor of the Lake Bodum murders, was arrested and brought to trial. Police claimed to have suspected him all along and insisted there was evidence to support their claims. For one, he claimed they claimed that Gustafsson's shoes had been worn by the killer during the attack, evidenced by the fact that they were covered in the victim's blood, but not Gustafsson's. During the trial, the prosecution spun a story involving a fight between him and the, his girlfriend, which culminated in the triple homicide. Or maybe the guy. I'm not sure. Boisman, which one that is. Okay. The prosecution claimed Gustafson had gotten drunk and thus exiled from the tent. Exiled from the tent? Exited. I like from the exiled. Tent. <laughs> they wrote exiled, but... Oh, maybe because he was drunk, he was exiled from the tent. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. All right, fine. But that's still an odd sentence. Uh, when Boisman made an attempt to talk to him, a fight had ensued that Boisman allegedly won, resulting in Gustafson's fractured jaw and broken facial bones. Angry at the fight, Gustafson must have gone back to the tent and in a blind rage killed his girlfriend and two friends. Then he inflicted the rest of the superficial stab wounds on himself, tried to hide his shoes, and staged the rest of the crime scene. The fact that the young bird watchers who originally found the site claimed to have seen a man leaving the area backed up the prosecution's claim. How? I don't understand that. Gustafson's defense, however, dismissed the story, claiming that if Boisman and Gustafson truly had gotten in a fight, Gustafson would have been too injured to viciously murder his friends. Seriously, if your jaw is broken and, like, you're, I think, like, his eye socket or something, like... (laughs) No, he's not taking on a whole other group of people. Uh, Let alone walk... So he would have been too injured to murder his friends, let alone walk more than half a mile round trip to hide his shoes... Ultimately, defense won, and after a year, he was after a year he was arrested. Gustafson was acquitted. To this day, however, suspicion remains, and no further suspect has been named. No further evidence has been found, and it is Finland's most it's the, their longest unsolved crime. I'm pretty sure it was the KGB guy, or it was Assman. Oh, it was Assman. 
Yeah, it was probably Ass Man because he was the blonde guy walking away. Yeah. Why cut your hair when you have all these other, like, injuries? You're not thinking about haircuts. (laughs) Nope. like we are. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Anyway, so when you go camping, be careful. Thanks. I have to say, there are some really fucked up sad stories, but there weren't really any ghost stories that weren't, like, spooky stories to tell around the campfire. And I was like, I don't really give a shit about any of these. I'll find one. Please do. I'm going to do it. No, but they like they weren't scary. Like I would have uh, read a bunch of those, and they weren't scary. They were clearly meant for children. Oh, okay. They I'll were see if I lame. Can find on Patreon. I feel like stories from Reddit are way scarier. Than, like, <laughs> no kidding. Any of those these were stories. horrible. Yeah. I mm. don't even know what to say mm-hmm. other than let's go camping. I know we've been talking about going camping, so now we really want to go. <laughs> <laughs> it shouldn't make me feel that way, but I, I still do. I want to go to there. I want to go to the woods. Into the woods we shall go. Okay, good. Excellent. Uh, should we spin the wheel? I mean, I hope you guys enjoyed uh, these two horrible stories and then our great I did. <laughs> we missed you guys so much. All right. Are you going to spin the wheel? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. Play that, Diddy. Be good. What else? What <laughs> else? I first say no. What is because it? we've been saying ass man. <laughs> when I read what the wheel gave us, I read it as ass man stories. <laughs> what? And then what was it? But it actually is hat man stories. What the fuck is hat man? Oh, the hat man. You don't want to fuck with that guy. <laughs> He is spooky. He is what some people see when they have sleep paralysis. There's a lot of lore around him. He's creepy. This some people think they're aliens trying to look less scary, so they put on hats. (laughs) (laughs) I find so charming. If anything, that's just really sweet. It's nice. I appreciate it. That is so stupid, though. How can we look like them? Mm. Put on a hat. (laughs) (laughs) I approve. (laughs) This is a good time. So stupid. But... Hat ass man is good. <laughs> <laughs> An ass hat. Ooh. Ooh, ass oh. hat man. <laughs> uh. <laughs> uh. Yeah. <sighs> that should be fun. Okay. Okay. Cool hat. Hopefully we don't see one. No. Why do you even put that shit out there? Oh my god. By we, I mean you. No, I don't even have sleep paralysis. You do. Maybe you'll just see one. Maybe you'll see an ass with a hat on it. (laughs) (laughs) Floating in your room. I feel like I would find that to be a friendly apparition. 
It's like, how can we present ourselves? Oh my goodness. To Liana, where she feels the most safe. Just a floating butt with a hat. safe with this yeah i know this is a safe feeling that i have <laughs> there's like a venn diagram of like what things that make you feel unafraid and as had apparition it's a sweet spot it's right dead center. Uh, it is the butthole of your Venn <laughs> It is the crack. <laughs> uh, I will draw this for you. Thank you. Welcome. Well, guys, we really missed you. We got for jokes sure. about butts. That's all that matters. Yeah. You waited the whole episode for that. (laughs) I know I did. I seriously can't get over that guy's name was Osman. (laughs) It's the worst. He deserves it. Yeah. Mm. Mm -mm. You're the worst. Osman. (laughs) Hans Osman. (laughs) Was that his name? Hans? Yep. Okay. Of course you'd remember that. (laughs) That's it. Oh, guys. All right. Join us next week when we talk about the hat man stories. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, this is the Night Guys podcast. (laughs) I'm Liana. I'm Erica. Okay. Bye. 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 Bye.